Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 31 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode on the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, I address the upcoming Ember Fast. In fact, this whole episode is dedicated to this one single topic, the Ember Fast of this week, including a history of Ember Days and their significant importance in the life of the Church, as well as information on why so many Catholics sadly do not know of, honor, and observe the Ember Days anymore. We will conclude with information on what we can do to rediscover these most important days of fasting, which actually go back to the Old Testament. But before I do so, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from children's K-12 through programs up through adult education for those wanting to learn the faith to become Catholic or simply want to go further into their knowledge of the faith. They also offer sacramental preparation courses as well for those preparing for the sacrament of holy matrimony, for baptism, for godparents or parents preparing for their child's baptism, confirmation preparation classes, quinceanera preparation courses, catechist training, and so much more. In fact, it's never too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic faith formation online. Please visit catechismclass.com today to begin this academic year learning and living the traditional Catholic faith. On to the topic, though, for today's episode, I thought it worthwhile to devote an entire episode to the spirituality and importance of Ember Days. Now, although Ember Days have been widely ignored since Vatican II, except for the remnant upholding Catholic tradition, these ancient days of prayer and penance can and should still be observed by the faithful. In fact, many traditional priests still rightfully encourage the laity to observe these days. So what are Ember Days? When did they originate, and how did the Church traditionally observe them? These are topics I explore in my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, and I have written as well on Ember Days for Catholic Family News, 1 Peter 5, the Fatima Center, and other publications. But if we'd like to start, if we turn to the Angelus Press's 1962 Roman Catholic Daily Missal for the Faithful, they provide a succinct and good summary of Ember Days for the Faithful, where they state, quote, At the beginning of the four seasons of the ecclesiastical year, the Ember Days have been instituted by the Church to thank God for blessings obtained during the past year and to implore further graces for the new season. Their importance in the Church was formerly very great. They are fixed on the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday after the first Sunday of Lent for spring, after Pentecost Sunday for summer, after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross on September 14th for autumn, and after the third Sunday of Advent for winter. They are intended, too, to consecrate to God the various seasons in nature and to prepare by penance those who are about to be ordained. Ordinations generally take place on the Ember Days. The faithful ought to pray on these days for good priests. The Ember Days were until, circa 1960, fast days of obligation. End quote. Hence, Ember Days were characterized by three elements. One, prayers for both thanksgiving and petition. Two, penance in the form of fasting and absence. And three, ordinations. 
Like Rogation Days, Ember Days developed early in times, taking the form that would continue for centuries. The Catholic Encyclopedia states, quote, At first, the church in Rome had fasts in June, September, and December. The exact dates were not fixed, but were announced by the priest. The Liber Pontificalis ascribes to Pope Callistus, who reigned from 217 to 222, a law ordering the fast, but it is probably older. St. Leo the Great, who reigned from 440 to 461, considers it an apostolic institution. End quote. By the time of Pope St. Gregory I, who died in the year 601, they were observed for all four seasons, so the date of each could vary. In the Roman Synod of 1078, under Pope Gregory VII, they were formally established for the dates we mentioned, the Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, after December 13, St. Lucia Day, after Ash Wednesday, after Pentecost Sunday, and after September 14, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Now, while they were initially observed only in Rome, their observance quickly spread throughout the world. Uh, Dom uh, Geringer adds that the institution of Ember Days is further based on the fast ordered by God for the changing of the seasons in the Old Testament. Thus, the church hallowed that fast and adopted it for the worship of the true God, thus fulfilling the Lord's words that he came not to abolish, but to complete the law, as he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> now, this is what Dom Geringer adds, quote, we may consider it as one of those practices which the church took from the synagogue. For the prophet Zacharias speaks of the fast of the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th month. Its introduction into the Christian church would seem to have been made in the apostolic times, such, at least, in the opinion of St. Leo, of St. Isidore of Seville, etc., ancient and other ancient Christian writers. It is remarkable, on the other hand, that the Orientals do not observe this fast, end quote. So its, its institution is quite old. In fact, it really goes back to ancient times, to the Old Testament. That's why we observe these different number days throughout the year. Now, how was fasting, though? Fasting and absence are a key element of the number days. How was that practiced in particular? Now, until the mid-1700s, all days of fasting were always days of absence. Not all days of absence were days of fasting, but all days of fasting were days of absence as well. In the ancient church, absence was not only from flesh, meat of animals and fowl, but also from all animal products, hence the fast was a vegan one. Fasting was also observed from water until the time of the meal, which was not until after sunset. And over time, there's a continual weakening of discipline in the form of both what was permitted on days of absence, as well as when the meal was to be consumed on fast days. Hence, as I've mentioned before in my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, fish but not shellfish became permitted on days of absence around the beginning of the 7th century. It's attributed to Pope St. Gregory the Great who allowed that. But shellfish which was considered a more dainty and elegant form of fish, was not permitted until the 10th century. Changes in the time of meal also began to occur over the centuries. That is why we, we know in the medieval church the, the fast was broken um, around 3 p.m., whereas it was around sunset in the very early church. Now, um, this was the case as well for, for ember days. Um, now, in addition to these fasting, though, uh, there's a particular element of the spirituality of Ember Days that needs to be remembered. Now, the purpose of Ember Days 
in the words of the Catholic Encyclopedia, is to thank God for the gifts of nature, to teach men to make use of them in moderation, to assist the needy. So it's not only a fast of deprivation, it's also very much a time to be thankful for God for the gifts that we're forsaking so we can better appreciate them. As a result, their focus of the Ember Days differs from the focus of the Rogation Days, to which they're often compared. Liturgies.net had an article that I thought was very good some years ago, which stated, quote, Rogation Days are the four days set apart to bless the fields and invoke God's mercy in all creation. Traditionally on these days, the congregation marches the boundaries of the parish, blessing every tree and stone while chanting or reciting a litany of mercy, usually a litany of the saints, end quote. So that's the focus of the Rogation Days. Days set apart to bless the fields and invoke God's mercy is slightly different from the focus of the Ember Days. Now, in addition to the general purpose of thanking God and invoking his blessings, the author of the website Barefoot Academy provides specific intentions for each of the Ember Day. So that way we can render thanks to Almighty God for the fruits of the earth, which spiritually become instruments of his grace through the sacraments. So, for instance, this is what that author states, quote, Winter or Advent Ember Days are after the Feast of St. Lucy. Give thanks for the olives that make holy oils for unction. Spring or Lenten Ember Days are after Ash Wednesday. Give thanks for the flowers and bees that make blessed candles, as in for baptism and upon the altar. Summer or Wit Ember Days are after the Solemnity of Pentecost. Give thanks for the wheat used to make the Eucharistic hosts. Autumn or Michaelmas Ember Days are after the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Give thanks for the grapes that make wine for the precious blood of Christ, end quote. So by writing these down and recalling them for ember days of each season, we can be more intentional what we are thanking God for in any given season. In this respect, the ember days further distinguish themselves from rogation days. Then now there's also significant cultural impact of ember days. So for instance, uh, we can see this in Japan. Um, ember days are the reason we have tempura dishes in many Asian cuisine. For instance, shrimp tempura is based on ember days, which are known in Latin as quanto tempura. Sport, uh, Portuguese and Spanish missionaries to the Far East would also invite the converted Japanese to fast during the quanto tempura. And they would break their fast by eating a dish that consisted of battered and deep-fried seafood and vegetables. Um, which um, translates from Portuguese to little fishes from the garden. It's a dish consisting of bell peppers, squash, and green beans that's fried in a flour-based batter. The term steadily gained popularity in southern Japan and became widely used to refer to any sort of pr food prepared using hot oil, battered or not. This term would persist even after Catholicism was outlawed by the Japanese and the church's missionaries were executed or exiled in the late 1500s. It was not until the 1870s that Christianity legally returned to Japan, but the faithful Japan continued to keep the faith alive in their families, including through the keeping of fast and absence days, like the Ember Days, for which we have the dishes known as tempura, named again after quanto tempura, the name in Latin for the Ember Days. Now, Ember Days are observed on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, in keeping with the ancient weekly devotional fast that originated with the Apostles. Wednesday, because this is the day the Council of the Jews decided to betray our Lord. On Friday, because this is the day he suffered death for our salvation. And on Saturdays, because this was the day our Lord lay in the tomb and his mother wept for him. Now, the early Christians selected Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays as days of absence for this reason. Not every place kept Saturday absence, but Rome did. This is noted by St. Francis de Sales and many others. 
Father Slater notes in a short history of moral theology published in the year 1909 how these weekly devotional fasts gradually ended but were retained for the Ember Days. Quote, the obligation of fasting on all Wednesdays and Fridays ceased almost entirely about the 10th century. But the fixing of those days by ecclesiastical authority for fasting and the desire to substitute a Christian observance at Rome for certain pagan rites celebrated in connection with the seasons of the year seem to have given rise to our Ember Days. About the 10th century, the obligation of the Friday fast was reduced to one of abstinence from flesh meat, and the Wednesday fast, after being similarly mitigated, gradually disappeared altogether, end quote. So while the early church fasted and abstained every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, that deteriorated over time, as Father Slater noted, and I go over that sad history in much more detail in the definitive guide to Catholic fasting and absence. Now, the Amber Days also began to deteriorate in our own time, as well as in those of our more modern ancestors. Now, uh, if I could fast forward a little bit, skipping over some of the, the history from the 1700s and the 1800s, just for the sake of time. Now, if you turn to 1917, an important year, because that's when the 1917 Code of Canon Law came out, the days of obligatory fasting listed in the 1970 Code were the 40 Days of Lent, the Ember Days, and the Vigils of Pentecost, the Assumption, All Saints, and Christmas. Partial absence, the eating of meat only at the principal meal, was obligatory on all weekdays of Lent, Monday through Thursday. And of course, complete absence was required on all Fridays, including the Fridays of Lent, except when a holy day of obligation fell on a Friday outside of Lent. Saturdays in Lent were likewise days of complete abstinence. Fasting and absence were not observed should a vigil fall on a Sunday, as stated in the Code. Now, some of these were changes, uh, because, for instance, beforehand, before the 1970 Code, if a fast day, a vigil, fell on a Sunday, it was anticipated on Saturday. It was not dropped altogether, as well as the notion that just because a Holy Day of Obligation fell on a Friday, in and of itself would remove the obligation of absence, was also a novelty with the 1917 Code. But what I'd like to point out, at least for those of us as we're preparing to enter the Emperor Days, is the 1970 Code of Canon Law stipulated that all Emperor Days were fasting days, and they were days of complete abstinence. Also worth noting, Canon 1006 of the 1970 Code stated, men were to be ordained only on Emperor Days, Holy Saturday, and the Saturday before Passion Sunday. But the Code added, quote, if a serious cause intervenes, the bishop can have them on any Sunday or feast day of the order, end quote. Episcopal consecration was reserved for Sundays and for feasts of the apostles. Thus, even the 1970 code kept the ancient practice of holding ember days as privileged days of ordination. That's why this particular upcoming Saturday, we should pray for all those being ordained to the priesthood or to any order in the church on that Saturday, as well as since, unfortunately, so few keep this, uh, we should at least pray for those who have been recently ordained, as well as those who will soon be ordained, as well as vocation to the priesthood. But many changes would occur to Ember Days, even before Vatican II. And one such change, on January 28, 1949, the United States Bishop issued modified regulation on abstinence in America after receiving a ruling from the Sacred Congregation of the Council, Partial absence replaced complete abstinence for Ember Wednesdays, Ember Saturdays, and the Vigil of Pentecost. So that's when that change happened, 1949, very recent. 
Now, the 1962 code, uh, 1962 laws of fasting and absence, which those who will go to the 1962 uh, rite of mass should be familiar with, stipulates still that ember days sh- must be kept as days of fasting. Uh, 1960, though, also saw a change to the calculation of how the autumnal ember days, those coming up here this month, this week, uh, can happen. Autumn ember days are unique in their scheduling. With the 1960 revisions to the breviary rubrics and the newly instituted system of counting Sundays from August to December, John the Twenty Third added that the September ember days should not only follow the feast of the exaltation of Holy Cross as they had historically done, but also fall after the third Sunday of September. And that's why there's going to be some variation between the pre fifty five calendar and the nineteen sixty two calendar. Some years with the September ember days, they will sometimes be off a week. That is why there's going to be a difference. Now, if we fast forward a little bit more, just for the sake of of bravery, uh, to uh, the period of time right after Vatican II, uh, Paul VI issued an apostolic constitution in 1966, whose principles were later incorporated into the 1983 Code of Canon Law, which greatly obliterated our fasting and absence tradition. The obligation of fasting on Ember Days and the remaining vigils was abolished by that unfortunate piece of legislation. But what's interesting, this is what Father Luce is commenting on the post-conciliar changes, where he admonishes priests, quote, True, modern canon law is silent about the Ember Days, but tucked away in an obscure corner of the 1970 Missal is a reference to the four times in which the Church is accustomed to pray to our Lord for the various needs of men, especially for the fruits of the earth and human labors, and to give public thanks. The same words appear in the third uh, edition of this Missal, published in 2002. However, the adaptation of these days is left to bishops' conferences. They can decide how we are to observe them, when and with what prayers— a couple of fast days are duly marked on each year's ordo for the church in England and Wales, one in Lent and one in October, with the suggestion of celebrating a votive mass of a suitable kind. Surely so ancient a tradition as the Ember Days must not be allowed to fade away, end quote. May we all return to the practice of observance of the Ember Days for the glory of God and the reparation for sin. Offering up our fast for vocations and for priests who are ordained on or about the Ember Days would be meritorious and a charitable work we can do, and we can spend more time learning about this part of our heritage. Like Ember Days, so much of our history of fasting and absence has been sadly forgotten. May God grant us a true love of fasting. As Father Adelbert de Vogue explains, quote, To love fasting, one must experience it, and to experience it, one must love it. The way to get out of this cycle is easy. Trust in the word of God, in the example of the saints, in the great voice of tradition, and trusting in this witness. Try it. End quote. May God grant you all the most blessed week. Thank you for listening. Remember Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday this week to keep them as days of complete abstinence and of fasting, to pray for the fruits of the earth, to thank God for the grapes which are grown, which become his precious blood in the consecration of the Mass, and to thank Almighty God for vocations to the priesthood, and to persevere and to continue to protect our priests who were recently ordained, and those who are going through much temptation, even if they were ordained long ago. Ad maiorum, Dei Gloria. Quid <speaking in Spanish>